HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, it's the final episode of our series on global trade. We're thinking futuristically, from China's ambitious plans for a new Silk Road to the future of borders and automation. If you're a banana, you know, it's easy to cross the border. But if you're a person who's trying to follow the jobs, uh, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to do so in an authorized and safe fashion. They love food trucks and they love growing your own food because these things are not dependent on essentially government systems. So there's a whole politics to pretzels on the dark web. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mike Schreiber. And welcome to The Shameless Chef, the show that takes us back in time to home kitchens in the 1970s, but still has a lot to teach us today. I developed this show with Michael Davenport in 1977. He was the original host of The Shameless Chef, and he shared his fearless attitudes towards food and encouraged home cooks to have fun and take some risks in the kitchen. I'm excited to keep this legacy alive and share The Shameless Chef with you on Heritage Radio Network. Today I'm sharing ways to flavor your food with delicious sauces, spices, and fresh herbs. One of the things I've appreciated over the years that came from The Shameless Chef has been the addition of spices. Growing up, my dear sweet mother, who was a wonderful cook, but her food was pretty basic. Meat and potatoes, unfortunately mushy vegetables, but some wonderful dessert. You know, on our birthday, she would prepare our favorite food for each of the kids. Mine was a roast leg of lamb with mint jelly, pan brown potatoes, red cabbage, and German chocolate cake. And I start to salivate just thinking about it. I grew up in New York, so it was easy for my mom to get all those ingredients. But later we moved to Kansas City, and this was in the late 50s, and my mom couldn't find leg of lamb at the local butcher. So she would have my brother-in-law, my Uncle Mo, buy one from the butcher in Long Island, pack it in dry ice, and ship it to us. God bless my mother. I don't know if that was legal or not, but it really was good. Okay, enough of my rambling. Back to the spices. One time, Michael was preparing salmon for a few friends, and when I tried it, I noticed this wonderful flavor he had added. He said it was dill. I'd never tried dill, and I loved it. 
and that began a journey into different spices and experimentation into the subtleties of flavors that can add so much to different recipes. Now I've got a constant supply of a wide variety of spices. I love going to the market with all the spice tables. I always ask the spice guy at the market for any suggestions on how to use a particular spice, and I usually get a new idea to try. So in the spirit of the Shameless Chef, just adding a different spice can add a real spark of imagination. Somebody wandered into my kitchen recently, and I discovered them peering furtively through my spice cabinet. I suppose people think that because I'm called the shameless chef that I have mysterious and vaguely illegal substances that I cook with, like a henbane. <laughs> shameless I am, a witch I'm not. My spices and herbs are quite ordinary, and I'll tell you about them. Okay, let's take a moment to enlarge the inventory of your kitchen cabinets. You have salt, pepper, some all-purpose flavorings like seasoned salt or garlic salt. Then there are the baking condiments, cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, maybe allspice, which isn't a mixture of spices regardless of the name. Now, in the herb department, you probably have, as most everyone does, the holy trinity of cooking, marjoram, rosemary, and thyme. Sounds like a folk song. Well, let me recommend some to you that you can find readily on the grocer's shelf and which you may not have used. A lot of golden flavor opportunities are in those little jars and boxes. How about uh, a coriander? Ever tried it? It's very much like parsley. Indeed, it's more used in other countries than parsley. The seeds, be advised, have a different flavor than the leaves. And then there's sorrel. Sensational in any green vegetable. It's nicely sharp. It'll go with goose or roast pork. Uh, sorrel's slightly minty in flavor and yet has its own distinct personality. Borage. Ever tried borage? <laughs> Tastes like cucumbers. Gives a whack to winter salads when there are no cucumbers on the market. Not even for red day money. And then there's cardamom. A spice, not an herb. And sometimes I'll get into the difference between spices and herbs. Cardamom is a brightly unusual flavor in a curry blend. In coffee cake, it's a, it's a knockout in gingerbread. I contend that spices and herbs are the soul of cooking, if not the halo. A flavor, I further contend, is another word for taste. Taste in everything. Davenport here. The Shameless Chef. Cheers. There's sauce for the goose and sauce for the gander. There's saucy behavior and the old rummy who's on the sauce. <laughs> this is the shameless chef. I would have you know that sauces of all kinds can hide a multitude of errors in the kitchen. Let's get saucy for a moment, shall we? It has been reported that French cooking is famed because of its sauces. Indeed, there is a very important person in the professional French kitchen, the saucier. Saucing is an art. There are those who contend that a tour of the starred restaurants in the Guide Michelin is like drowning in sauces, and I could attest to that contention. Without going down the canals of sauce required by master chef cooks, let's be practical. Almost anything in the world that you eat can be improved by saucing. Well, what is salad dressing sometimes but just sauce? After all, what would a hot fudge sundae be without the fudge sauce? And isn't icing on a cake a sort of modestly solidified sauce? Gravy is sauce, and so is melted butter, so let's not be afraid of the big bad sauces. It's simple. I checked a reference book recently 
just one basic book and discovered there were 29 sauces listed. They included the ethnic sauces, Hungarian, Hollandaise, Espanol, Romaine. There was a sauce Perigurdine, which I thought had something to do with falcons, but no, it's just a highly flavored raisin sauce. Then there's Velouté, and don't let the name throw you, it's just gussied up white sauce cooked with stock. Same for Sauce Suprême. Brown sauce is brown from browned flour, and white sauce is white because the flour isn't brown. Now, all you French chefs out there, do I offend you? Now, good. But a saucier is like a pianist. He is a virtuoso, but there are some of us who like to play chopsticks, or heart and soul. Take a look at any cookbook you have under the heading of sauces. It'll give you some 20 or so new attitudes about food when you properly sauce them. And don't please mix up the sweet sauces for desserts with the tangy ones for meat and vegetables, though come to think about it, the Latins do some incredible things with lamb, hot pepper, and chocolate sauce. Oh, Michael A. Davenport here. Loved being saucy with you. The tail end of the week, for some reason known only to the goddess of insanity, I like to hurl forth something in the way of craziness, a weird combination that you may never have tried and might won't be good for the weekend surprise. This is The Shameless Chef, and for this weekend, let's try something Veronique. Do me a favor and spare me some endless research, will you? Why are dishes that are prepared with white seedless grapes called Veronique? You know, the classic filet of sole, Veronique. That means made with a white sauce and white grapes. It's a great flavor combination, but, but who was Veronica? And why is she associated with grapes? Or does it have something to do with teardrops? That seems to ding in the back of my head. Well, never mind. There are lots of things that are Veronique, in addition to the traditional filet of sole. Most any light-flavored vegetable or fish will benefit with the addition of grapes, uh, like veal scallops, served with a dash of pan gravy to which you've added grapes. Uh, Grapes are a very happy friend to such vegetables as uh, peas and uh, broccoli or Brussels sprouts, anything that doesn't require much cooking. The green vegetables benefit from that touch of sweetness and that contrast of crisp grape texture. Uh, My favorite, I've expounded on this in past programs, is a salad made with white seedless grapes, along with garlic and sour cream. Yep. And and every time I mention it, on the air or anywhere, I got raised eyebrows. But like a lot of things, think about it. Better try it. And here's how. You stem and chill seedless white grapes. Uh, You mash a pod of garlic in a saucer with a little salt and sugar. And something mysterious happens with this combination. The garlic seems to melt into a paste. So you blend the paste with a cup or so of sour cream and add some fresh cracked pepper and let it sit in the fridge for a half hour or overnight at least until the garlic flavor can marry into the sour cream. Then blend the sour cream with the grapes and serve it forth on a lettuce cup, if you will, and dashed with a bit of color like pimiento or paprika. And voila! Salad Veronique. The crazy salad for this week. My name is Michael A. Davenport and my initials for the slow-witted are M-A-D. And the salad is everything the initials imply. Man. There will be more stories from The Shameless Chef after this break. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. My name is Samantha Garner and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously just like they do in Wisconsin. 
Cheeselandia is a community for loud and proud cheese lovers brought to life by Wisconsin Cheese. I know that I can always cook amazing food with their cheese, and it's even good enough just to snack on. As a Cheeselandia member, I know there is always a supportive community behind me who always gets as excited as I do about cheese. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Check us out on Instagram at Cheeselandia. We're back with The Shameless Chef. What is chutney, anyway? We see it in the market, usually bearing the name of a British army officer. And we think of it as something that only goes with curry, but not so. This is The Shameless Chef. Chutney can be a thing you never want to be without. It's as handy as relish or ketchup. It's easier to make than pickles or preserves. So, for today, shall we chutney? We all know about relishes, right? Uh, The various kinds, uh, the ways that pickles can be concocted, you know, chopped or sliced or ground or flavored sweet or sour or sweet and sour or hot or what have you. And then there are the relishes made of corn or green pepper or even green beans. But chutney, on the other hand, is a relish made with various kinds of fruit as its central ingredient. Name almost any fruit you can think of and you can make chutney out of it. Now, granted, you won't find a great variety of chutneys on your grocer's shelf unless you happen to shop at Fortnum and Mason. So you buy that major product and you try it. Uh, Not only with curry. Chutney is great with scrambled eggs. Different and piquant. Serve it with toast or uh, English muffins. You can use chutney as a flavoring with almost any meat you can think of. Chutney by itself makes a superb barbecue sauce. Now, I'm looking at a basic USA recipe for chutney. It involves raisins, sour apples, hard green pears, garlic, ginger, chili peppers, and cayenne. Now, notice the chutney is made from unripe fruit. That way the fruit keeps its shape and doesn't cook up and become mushy. It's like cucumbers. It remains crisp. The word chutney, for those with an erudite flair, comes from the Hindu word chanti, and it means, guess what, relish. So much for erudition. Now then, come the fruit season, we all know somebody who has homegrown fruit. After all, you don't ordinarily find green fruit in the marketplace. Well, about the only recipe most of us know for unripe fruit is green apple pie, and try that sometime. If you'd like the basic recipe for chutney, drop me a note here at the station, and I'll be happy to send it to you. It's another of those things we we tend to forget about, or we don't know about in the first place. Like chow chow, hmm? or dilly beans, or uh, olives stuffed with anchovies. Mm. Chutney's a great thing to have on hand, whether you make it yourself or buy it. Although in the markets, it tends to be expensive. Uh, Michael A. Davenport here, the shameless chef. Oh yeah, chutney blended with cream cheese makes a wonderful canapé. Truly. Pasta lovers of the world, lend me your ears. This show is for you. I'm one of you. I like the pasta, the noodle, or any of its relatives with a favor that verges on fervor. (laughs) This is The Shameless Chef with a couple or so ways to fix pasta without tomato sauce. Are you ready? There's this to be said for the average spaghetti sauce. It is generally lousy. It's either overdone, and the pasta is usually overdone too, overseasoned, or so acidulous with tomato paste, tomato juice, and tomato sauce that my gorge rises. Now, pasta is delicate, light, healthful, generally delightful. 
anybody can do spaghetti sauce, and some make a career of it. When I hear the phrase, oh, you should taste George's spaghetti sauce, I run in the opposite direction as fast as I can. Spaghetti, as she is normally done, is junk food that you make at home. Now, not being one to point out an evil without suggesting a remedy, I would like to suggest the following. Spaghetti alla burro, spaghetti alla pesto, and spaghetti olio e alio. And here's how you do them. Spaghetti alla burro has nothing to do with donkeys. It's done with butter. Simply that, lots of melted butter, about a half a pound melted, mixed with fresh parsley, finely minced, tossed over the pasta with just a touch of um, grated lemon rind or chopped green olives or sautéed chopped almond. almonds. That would do it, yeah. That's it, great. Now, spaghetti al pesto. You need a mortar and pestle for this. See, pesto, pestle. Uh-huh. You mash up fresh basil, a clove or so of garlic, about a quarter cup of olive oil. When it's good and pasty, add a lot of melted butter and dress the pasta with this mixture. Oh, yeah, heaps of freshly grated cheese. Mamma mia. Now, spaghetti olio e olio, translation, oil and garlic. And this is for the most devoted garlic lovers only. You crush four cloves of garlic or more and cook them in about a quarter cup of olive oil for about a minute or three. Discard the garlic. You now have garlic oil. You add a lot of melted butter and as much freshly chopped parsley, a lot of it. And over the pasta it goes. Oh, cheese is called for here. Oh, yes, uh, clorets too. The, The parsley won't do it. So there. This is Michael A. Davenport, The Shameless Chef. When it comes to spaghetti, you can take your tomato sauce and ciao. Please subscribe to The Shameless Chef wherever you get your podcasts. The voice you heard throughout this episode was Michael Davenport, the host of The Shameless Chef, who unfortunately passed in 1985, but lived a truly vibrant life. The Shameless Chef is produced by Dylan Hoyer and me, Mike Schreiber, with podcast development and additional production by Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. The original theme song for The Shameless Chef was composed by Chip Davis. Armin Spengen composed the theme music for this podcast. The Shameless Chef is powered by Simplecast. The Shameless Chef is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.